Wilson's graduate assistant at the University of Maryland in the late 1960s. Professor Craven had retired, but had come to Maryland on a one-year appointment. He was 84 at the time, and his mind was still razor-sharp. My initial encounter with him did not go well. One of my professors invited me over to dinner in order to meet the legend I would be assisting that coming term. I was very excited about the prospect of working with such a great historian, whose graceful writing I had always admired, and doubly grateful because this would be a difficult semester for me, as I was studying for my comprehensive examinations. If you have ever been through that process, you know that your brain is so cluttered with names of books and historians that only a periodic flushing allows you to keep your sanity. The purge takes numerous forms, one of which is to verbally disgorge at a breathless pace everything you know about a given school of historical thought to friends and family members. It accounted for the fact that my colleagues tended to avoid conversations with me on anything related to history. I also did not get invited to many parties that term. So I welcomed the dinner invitation. As we sat around the dinner table, I chatted with Professor Craven and his wife, Georgia. I understand you are studying for your comprehensives, he announced suddenly. I could feel the sweat bead on my forehead. Without waiting for my response, he asked me what book I had read that had changed my view of a person or an era. Relieved that he had not requested a recitation on some obscure historical theory, I searched my cluttered mental file for an intelligent response. It would have been too precious to have cited one of Professor Craven's books, and besides, his work affirmed my views, which he already knew. Instead, I told him that C. Van Woodward's Tom Watson Agrarian Rebel, 1938, profoundly altered my perception of both the populist movement in the South and Tom Watson. I went on for the next ten minutes or so, regaling the Cravens and the other guests about how Woodward accounted for the remarkable and sad transformation of the Georgia populist, from a champion of the poor, regardless of color, to a raving anti-Catholic, anti-Jewish, and anti-black demagogue. When I had finished my speech, for that's what it was, the room was funeral parlor quiet. My host nervously shuffled his knife and fork. Had I said something wrong? He cleared his throat and said, David, perhaps Georgia here can provide another perspective on Tom Watson— as she is his granddaughter. It was one of those moments when you hope for a diversionary earthquake or a sudden gust of wind at, say, 150 miles an hour that peels off the roof. Georgia graciously waved it off, noting that her grandfather could be difficult at times. We all laughed, and that seemed to break the tension. We raised our wine glasses and toasted the new term. Professor Craven was wonderful to work for, and he and his wife, even after my gaffe, were extremely kind to me. What struck me most about him during our association was how much he hated war, the Civil War in particular. Some historians have associated Craven with a pro-Southern analysis of the war's origins, and some might identify my narrative as compatible with that interpretation. My book is neither pro-Southern nor pro-Northern. It is anti-war, particularly the Civil War. More than bumbling politicians, however, 
I cite the invasion of evangelical Christianity into the political debate as an especially toxic factor in limiting the options of political leaders. Evangelicals never comprised a majority of the population, but their organization, wealth, use of technology and the media, and access to politicians, especially in the Republican Party, enabled them to infiltrate and influence the political process. Evangelical Christianity polarized political debate. It is a perspective that Professor Craven did not discuss much, nor did most of the historians of his generation. But Evangelical Christianity's influence was everywhere in the political arena, in discussions about the West, about Roman Catholics, and especially about slavery. What was troubling about this religious immersion was the blindness of its self-righteousness, its certitude, and its lack of humility to understand that those who disagree are not mortal sinners.